clubhouse. Welcome back to Pod Clubhouse's continuing coverage of NBC's This Is Us. This is for the seventh episode of the sixth season, an episode entitled Taboo. This is Paul. This is Caroline. Taboo. Do you remember that game, Paul? I used to have it. That's the little buzzer. (laughs) I had that game, but not only that game was played in this episode, but also there was a lot of taboo subjects that they were tackling. Off the cuff here, I can think of the sugar pie ingredient. A person's relationship with food. Yeah, my next one was Kate's weight. I mean, that's a specific... Weight in general, though, right? Yes. I, she, I agree with you. She's the the flag bearer for that that topic this this time though. Nope, I don't I disagree. I think that Rebecca's mom was constantly harping on weight. Well, and Toby with baby mm-hmm. Jack. Yeah, no, weight was a big issue for everybody. So eating, food, weight, all taboo subjects no one wants to talk about. The parents moving in the flashback. Okay. Jack wasn't supposed to bring it up. Oh, that he, was a taboo subject. He wasn't supposed to intercede in the perpetual hellscape of mothers and daughters. <laughs> How about also, I'm going to go with medical issues in general. Like things like that are, are kind of touchy subjects. They can be taboo. Similar, uh, Kevin's drinking. It's it's not as a forefront of an issue in this one, but he is drinking. Uh, Miguel mentions it. One of the beating around the bush aspects is the budding relationship between Rebecca and Miguel. Well, and and perhaps dating your deceased friend's wife. That's kind of a taboo situation. Exactly. Like, is that acceptable or not? Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Do you have any others? I'm going to say death as a taboo subject. Something that people are very uncomfortable with in terms of like uh, Randall taking all the photographs and stuff like that. And it, and everyone kind of beating around the bush like he's just doing that, but he's not sort of talking about why he's doing that. But he's just doing it because it would be like too like awkward to be like, I'm doing this because you're going to pass away. Caroline and I watched this episode twice and on the first viewing, the camera part of Randall in the in the cabin it didn't seem overly obnoxious to me, but maybe that's because I'm usually the camera guy. But on the second viewing, I noticed how he was like narrating every scene they were in. And interrupting conversations to be like, family photo, family photo, just like as if it was like a flash mob and all of a sudden he would be taking a picture. That also kind of stuck out to me as like a, you don't talk about why you're taking the photographs, but you're kind of clandestine doing this. I'm sure there's a hundred other ones, but let's dive into this episode. Okay, so we have that taboo theme. We also have the theme of mothers and daughters as it plays out through the primary source of the flashbacks connecting the various uh, time frames, the baking and the secret keeping of the secret ingredient of the sugar pie. Multiple Thanksgivings throughout history, Rebecca's history. You mentioned the 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 situation with the mom and the and the and all that. I didn't read that as necessarily a you didn't pick eating up on disorder, any of the subtle stuff but, of between but, mom and daughter, like none. Well, should I? <laughs> I mean, I'm not as a TV viewer. Yes, you should pick up on two characters, uh, regardless. As a human, but there is so many passive aggressive bullshit things that her mother 
does, you know, giving her the tiniest slice of the pie. I mean, it was minuscule that she gives her and then constantly is like pecking at her, like not to be eating too much. And, oh, let me give you some dieting tips and all this. I mean, yeah, no, Paul, there was, it was constant barrage of eating tips were happening. Is the ingredient with the sugar pie meant to symbolize anything? Like, is there something in your own life that has been like a mother-daughter sort of thing, maybe in your family that's just sort of, it's like a rite of passage. You got to earn your way to it in whatever way the previous generation sees fit. I think generationally, it's like passing the mantle for sure. Like, it's like you're the one who's going to be in charge of that now. Basically, the other person is like retiring. In my own family, I think we're getting to that point pretty quickly where some of the things will probably be starting to get passed down. I mean, certainly in your family, you have a very large extended family, especially on your mom's side. And you've certainly seen that with things like family reunion planning or whatever. It's like once you start being the one who's in charge of making the, you know, the hotel reservation or like you guys make like a, I don't want to call it a manual. What do you call that? Like book? The It's like the genealogy. Yeah. So who's ever in charge of like assembling that and then passing it to the next grouping, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's just saying, I think you're officially ready to be in charge of the family. And you and I have talked a ton about, there's so many shows out right now that we kind of keep calling it like the succession kind of shows. Yeah. All about the, like, when are you going to pass the torch? When are you going to retire and let me take over whatever we're watching the righteous gemstones succession or Yellowstone. I mean, they're all family. They're all the, yeah, there's so much of this. Sopranos to an extent. Absolutely. There's so much of the same, you know, themes of like, you know, somebody not wanting to pass on essentially the secret ingredient to the pie and allowing, you know, the next generation to take over. In this case, since it's wrapped up in sugar pie, Rebecca's mom makes that big deal about eating it, who can eat it, how much you can have when you eat it. And we have that conversation later, which we won't get into this second, but it is worth mentioning just thematically that it comes up later. And Kate plants a a flag in the idea of changing her kid's relationship with food versus her own, which you could look at as having been inherited for better, for worse, through Rebecca, through her mom, et cetera, et cetera. Feels like like breaking the cycle of how someone thinks about food mm-hmm. and being mindful instead of it just being what we all consider like off the cuff comments of things that have just always been said, but actually sitting down and thinking about it, like beyond meal planning, she's actually parent planning. Like, what am I actually going to say to my kids about food instead of it just being a remark that you've heard yourself growing up and so you just say to your kids too, this would actually be a much more planned out approach to how your kids would view food and view holidays and food and all the different, you know, obstacles and challenges that will come that she could actually try to address that preemptively and with a plan. There's a lot of breaking of cycles that we see in this show, right? Whether it be, you know, addiction or whether it's, you know, anxiety, even how to how to approach that, whether you go to therapy or whether you find other ways to cope. But there's a lot of things that people have carried around. Like, you know, if you watch Encanto, generational trauma, we see that this revolves around food, but this is generational trauma where no one stops to think about how this affects the next generation and it just gets passed down. Good call. I don't have anything to 
add to that because that was very well put. Well, and even you you made the the comment about um, the hellscape that is mothers and daughters. Well, that's Rebecca's dad's uh, pithy. But that's generational trauma. That's an offhanded remark that you just make that that gets passed down that we've kind of even thought about with Rebecca and Kate as like, oh, the hellscape that is mothers and daughters, you know, mm-hmm. and you kind of have that attitude. Whereas I think Jack hears that, you know, he's kind of struck by that. Like, what? Like, what kind of comment is that? That the Pearson level tries to address that in some ways, you know, certainly Jack does. Moving forward, you know, you want to think that Kate and Haley being the last scene, you know, when she's like, I'll tell you someday, that kind of stuff. Like, you want to think that that's not going to be the hellscape that perhaps Rebecca and her mom were. No one that we'll ever know is hopefully the like the the, the terminus of, of those of those lines, right? We're all transitional phases of, of change in those cycles that you're talking about. Where you notice in this episode that Kate has decided that she's going to act this way about food, for instance. She's not entirely escaped being totally passive aggressive with Toby the way that she's going to deliver, I guess, the, her decision about food or other ways of their interreact, interactions together. You can't fix everything all at once. So she learned passive aggressive stuff and she, she does it. She still does it. But the food thing she's trying to fix now. Okay, Paul. So let's go back to our flashbacks that we have three different sections here, but we're going to tackle them by putting the Rebecca and mom super duper young and Rebecca getting married to Jack sort of flashback all kind of together as basically Rebecca's parents and their interactions with Rebecca for the most part. Mm -hmm. Aside from the mother and daughter aspect of it, I was, I was interested to see that the bygones between Jack and Rebecca's father appeared to be bygones enough. Yeah, they were pretty easy going with one another. The, it wasn't nearly the showcase of the episode, but but since I had the luxury of watching it twice, they they had gotten to that threshold where people that on the street running into each other may not like each other, but because they become family, they take out whatever that edge is and they're like, well, as long as we don't start talking about like religion or politics or something like that, we can be okay for an afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it seemed like that they had had enough time together, you know, water under the bridge kind of things. We know it can't have been that long, though, no. from those episodes where he went golfing and the disastrous situations right. going exactly. on. I mean, at best, I mean, I'm going to throw out that it could be like a year later, but I don't even right. think it's really that long. We know they went on the on their uh, drive, right? They went on their little adventure. Right away. And so, I mean, this probably is not, this is with, I'm going to say within a year of that time, but you're right. Things seem to have smoothed over between dad and Jack. It's definitely still the push and pull between Rebecca and mom that is still struggling. So what do we think was the takeaway from these two flashbacks? We certainly have the little one, which seemed very much like we're supposed to understand this generational passing down of the secret ingredient of the pie, but then also the passing down of both passive aggressive remarks and the relationships with food that are certainly very questionable. And that none of that stuff should ever transcend the actual base of the relationship. When Rebecca learned that her parents were moving, all of that shit fell to the side. 
and she was able to reconnect with her mother and even gang up against Jack, which was, you know, one of the comic relief moments of the episode. Jack's <laughs> like, what did I do, face? <laughs> For sure. I think also important that, you know, we've had an episode with Jack and his mom and having to say goodbye to her. And we know the long game of this season is saying goodbye to Rebecca. So even though it's not a death, the moving of the parents kind of creates this little mini like I'm really going to miss you realizing she's not going to be there day to day anymore. She's not going to be just down the street anymore. That kind of stuff. Relationship between Rebecca and her mom. They might be done in this series, you know, moving away. The rest of the story they need to tell. Do they need to tell more? Well, I mean, it helps complete the picture, though. If you had Jack and his mom and that. Oh, death, I agree. And then you have the larger Rebecca and kids death. Then. Kind of, we still have to see Rebecca's mom's death. Okay. I think you almost have to, because otherwise, doesn't that seem like it doesn't, like the puzzle is not complete? I'll give you that. They really like symmetry in this show. So it would be kind of weird just to leave it at like, and they moved. But I'm not going to be surprised if we don't. They have not seemed to have a problem with the time constraints. As much as you and I have ever said, how in the world are they going to tackle all this? And then in like a three minute, you know, montage, it's like, oh, shit. Right. <laughs> they completely answered every question. So I'm going to put my faith in the writers that they will figure out a way to finish out that story. It could just be in a cold open. You know, and just like, bam, there you go. That's what happened to Rebecca and her mom and how that death and funeral played out. The one thing I want to highlight about those particular initial flashbacks that we had, like in the timeline, Rebecca's relationship with food is not something that we have been terribly focused on in the show. It's always been Kate's. Rebecca seems to always have just been like naturally slim. The way that they would show her in different uh, scenes, it just seems like she's just sort of effortlessly slim. You know, I can remember one, this is so far back, you guys, but this is like almost like talking about your own family members. I swear to God, I remember one episode where she does like aerobics or something in the living room, as if to suggest like, like that she does have to do something or does care about her figure in a way that is like beyond just like, oh, well, I eat what I want. I don't gain weight. Like she would that she actually cared about that aerobics portion. Yeah. But like thinking back of all the times they spent at the pool or other places where it would have been actually very natural for an adult woman with kids to like look at herself in her bathing suit and be like, Ugh, you know, I'm going to like put on a cover up or something to go to the pool. They never had those scenes with her. And she had triplets. And was gigantic. Zero commentary on how in the world did she lose all the weight? <laughs> I mean, true. you know, zero commentary on getting her figure back post kids. You know, there there stands to be something else. I mean, I will just throw I'll just throw that in the prediction bucket somewhere that like if weight and the relationship with food and everything continues on, which I am assuming it has to a post pregnancy struggle with weight would not be crazy to see. I just don't think it would. And I know that seems like a small thing, but control of the situation and your relationship with food has been since day one. So it would be weird if we just abandoned that in the, la in the last part of the whole series. That's fair. I'm even thinking about Rebecca's relationship with cooking. Do you remember when she was like cooking at various points after even the kids were born and, and with Jack and she's like, get out of here and I'm trying to make stuff and she was very anxious and it was, it wasn't exactly like second nature. You know, she was really having to work on making sure her food was how she wanted it and yeah. all that kind of stuff. It seems like it's following her, except for like now that we are getting to this stage where the kids are in their, you know, late, later teens, she actually 
actually seems much more comfortable in the kitchen. That kind of moves us to the flashback when all the kids are home from college or home from their activities. They're kind of, what would you guess, about like 18, 19, 19? 19. And uh, so let's get into that flashback where we have the meeting of Matt and Marguerite. Marguerite, the most normal French woman you ever met. Normal. What a, what a funny backhanded compliment, right? You're, you seem completely normal. Like to me, when I hear normal, I hear not special. <laughs> Nothing to write home about. Right. Unmemorable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so between that and our vanilla Matt of the, he's neither sweet nor sour. He's just, <laughs> Miguel's like the most vanilla man that walked to the earth. Yeah, I think we, we got that these two are going to be throwaway <laughs> guest characters. <laughs> exactly right. We have the, the benefit of future from this point, future Beth and her, her mouth up by the wine glass commentary of the, uh, of the constant drama at Thanksgivings and this. Do you suppose this is Beth's first Thanksgiving or? I mean, she acts very uh, comfortable there as if she's been there for a Thanksgiving so before, but it, that doesn't, that doesn't exactly jive. I'm sure, I'm sure I mean, someone could write in and say, no, no, she was there one more time. Cause, the, cause there was one after Jack died. That was like terrible, right? Oh, you're going to catch me out here. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure, but but I do want to say that Randall's encouragement of Kate to come visit Carnegie Mellon, it made it much more felt like they had been there for a whole a whole year, you know, like if not he would have only had been there for like 2 months or something. Right. You know, for to start Thanksgiving. So, I this seemed much more like he was comfortable, like he would know where she would stay, like, you know, he felt comfortable inviting her to come out. Well, so. Beth was already very Huggy and familiar with 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 Rebecca. You're right. Yeah. This has to be after after Rebecca and her mom meet at the you know at the yeah. on campus. So we're just piecing it together, you guys, as we're working through our own memories with I'm you here. guys. We're doing this as a group, you guys listening and us together. So play along if you want to throw out memories you're remembering while you're listening to the podcast. Just yell it out. I'm we sure watch a lot of TV. We'll hear people. you through the speakers. We've got a lot to keep track of. <laughs> So we've got the broad strokes of the story here. No, for sure. We've got this, Paul. But the thing is, is that I think that as we're piecing this together, there's parts to the personalities that have become so familiar that it is kind of hard to place it. Like, why wouldn't Beth be super comfortable with Rebecca? Because we've known Beth for so long with Rebecca now that it's like hard to be like, when were they not comfortable? You know, it's hard to remind yourself of those days. Well, I'm, I'm sort of the Beth in, in your family. Like I've been around since... <laughs> Since I, since I was that same age, and they're about our Even same age younger. now. So. No, younger than that. You, we were 17. Okay, but still. You came to Easter at 17. But we're talking about a span of close to 30 years, so one or two years is like not 30 is, <laughs> is the front number. Talk about awkward. You have these third wheel dates. Do you think at some point before Taboo, they knew that they weren't moving on here? Like this was like not a, a good match? I would say that Taboo was a shock to both Marguerite and Matt. I, I don't think that it was... It's almost like they should have just got a ride home together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And here's the thing. The majority of those clues that were so revealing that obviously Miguel and Rebecca had spent all this time together really were revolving around time spent with Jack. And, and that was all above board. Like everyone knew, duh, that's why we know each other is because time we spent with Jack. Like they pointed out, you know, time at Froggy's or time at the company picnic or stuff like that. The only two that really stood out was the names of his lizards 
that he had in childhood and that she knew his biggest fear. Hmm. Those two things were the ones that that wouldn't come up with just normal, you know, buddy at work, coworker that we spend a lot of time with. So those are the two that I think raised eyebrows. And, uh, and of course, the Billy Joel song, same thing, you know, that, that kind of exposed. Well, personal current preferences. Day. Well, their current day, like that they'd been watching TV together and that he had been calling this one character, you know, best looking female and all that stuff. Like, But that's current mm-hmm. outside of the relationship with Jack. So that kind of was like, uh, <laughs> y'all spend a lot of time together and have shared a lot of information. Now, we play Taboo the exact same way. I'm like, that shirt I wore that you hated. And you're yeah. like, orange. Do you want to win? It, it, it's, it's a little more like uh, like uh, Randall and Beth. It's, it's We're not trying to fool anybody. We're going to go completely <laughs> on personal connection so no one else can get get close to the, the answer. <laughs> I'd be like, that time I raised my eyebrow at you and you were like, what? And you'd be like, the movies. <laughs> right. Like, uh-huh. Right, that time in college. All those times ago. Um, that was a terrible example. <laughs> that time at college, all those times ago. Well, that'd be very long ago. How do you avoid paying property tax? You should buy a... Houseboat. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> See? Perfection. <laughs> do you suppose uh, when, when Marguerite coming in was intimidated and that's why she was so uh, upfront with like the kissing or is that just European style uh, greeting that I'm that I'm not overly familiar with did you read anything off of her did she know she was coming in to the lion's den Ooh, I do not think she knew she was coming into the lion's den I don't think she was a serious serious girlfriend in terms of like you know they were joking about the Houston we have a problem whole thing because you know Miguel's moving so like they they weren't gonna I didn't get the impression they were gonna be long distance or they were going anywhere like this was just someone to spend time with so it's almost like he just brought you know just someone he's just regularly dating you know and that maybe she didn't have anywhere else to go kind of thing you know they they made her so that she was uh from you know france so that maybe she didn't have family local kind of thing Mm. you know so maybe she was just one of those you know displaced people who sometimes don't have family to go to thanksgiving so it maybe it didn't seem so weird that she was invited but no, I mean, the kissing and all that kind of stuff. I actually thought they could have done more to, like, kind of poke at Rebecca with Marguerite. Because, like, there was a moment when Matt confides in Miguel and says, like, I really want this to go well, blah, 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 blah. Like, actually has that moment where Miguel's like, you know. <laughs> but they didn't have the corresponding one between Marguerite and Rebecca, where there was some sort of, like, yeah, her, you know, her, confiding. No, no. Her normalness was brought about just in the course of... Normalness conversation. No, it's when like when you think, what do you think about Matt? What do you think about Marguerite? Like that kind of went back and forth between Miguel and Rebecca, though. They were just placeholders, and it was very obvious in the taboo game. The real people they wanted to spend time with were were each other. As much as Miguel was saying, I was just waiting for you to get settled. I got this job offer like months ago. I really think it was much more. I was trying to figure out if you were going to finally see me as like dating material or something. But since you since that it didn't go that way, since we didn't go romantic and you went off with Matt. So you were ready to be romantic, but you didn't pick me. Now I'm heading to Houston. Interesting. Because he didn't push the romance, but it was like once you got on the dating scene and you didn't choose me to date, then what am I staying here for? Well, what do you read into the timing with Kevin and his 
that's my dad rolling over in his grave talk. And then that's when, you know, all of a sudden this job he's definitely offer. Going to he's, Houston. Yeah. yeah. One of the other things that Matt said to Miguel was, I really want things to go well with the kids because it's really important that I get along with the kids because I want Rebecca to keep me around. Right. Mm-hmm. So then for Miguel, it was like double whammy. Now she's saying, oh, you know, I'm going to, I, you know, I'm enjoying myself with Matt, whatever. Right. And now the kids are rejecting me two X's, <laughs> you know, two strikes, E better head out. Yeah. I, I did not look at it at the angle that you did, but I mean, that well, makes just sense. Suggesting, it like, makes, you it, know, it, it can make sense. I, I think it was probably, he was feeling conflicted the whole time that he, he oh, realized he was feeling stronger about Rebecca than he should have about his, or he felt like he should have about his dead best friend's wife. Well, and then also just showing like, you know, when Marguerite goes up there and there's zero connection, like they can't get any clues that was exposed that Mm -hmm. like, oh shit, like I'm not even making connections with people here in the same way, you know, and obviously they had their Houston, there's a problem joke, but (laughs) that that would line up with Apollo 13. When the movie came out. Mm-hmm. Would... So what else were we supposed to glean? Anything from uh, the Miguel and, and Rebecca relationship there? I mean, I think it's very clear why their paths diverged now. She's in the dating pool and didn't pick him. But in a way, it's almost like she didn't know that she could. Kind of, yes. But at the same time, if you like somebody, that kind of stuff doesn't matter. If she wanted to date him, like if she was in love with him in that way, like he's clearly in love with her in that way. I don't think that the shoulds necessarily would have kept there from being like some tip of the cards, you know, of like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm like, maybe I'm not ready right now, but I definitely feel that way about you. Until she knew he was leaving, she had like a mental barrier up, you know, in terms of thinking about him that way, Mm -hmm. even though she already had been. It's just she didn't quite know it. This is, I don't know if people feel this way in real life, but that's the way they do in movies and in TV, right? I didn't know I loved you until you were leaving, you know, like that sort of thing. I know. I think that happens in real life where there's a moment where you're like, wait a minute. I mean, me and you had that moment. I mean, for God's sake, we were just teenagers. I set you up to go on a date with another person. That was crazy. That was very risky for you. Yeah. But then at the last second, I was like, actually, I think I kind of like him. And so I'm not so sure that I am actually cool with this. So, yeah, but you said so. <laughs> well, I what? You said so at the time. Oh, I did. I did because I realized it at the time and was like, wait a second. I don't actually think I'm comfortable. But I didn't know I felt that way before that, though. Like it came to that moment of being like, oh, wait, crap. You know, so same like I can relate to Rebecca where it's like, oh, God, you know, you've been here this whole time. And I just totally didn't even realize. Suddenly, Paul. <laughs> right. Totally. Anyway, (laughs) 17-year-old dorky Caroline. Um, Yeah, so I would, regardless, I mean, we're probably not saying this exactly right, but I think the majority of listeners are going to understand what we're saying. Mm -hmm. There were some sort of mixed signals at this point, and they definitely weren't on the same page. And it was that awkward push and pull of like, I think I like you, but you're not showing me enough buying signs. So I'm going to walk away and do something else. And then that floods her with the like, oh shit, what did I just lose? You know, I think we get it. And the big picture question was, why didn't Miguel and Rebecca get together way back then when they were watching TV together and eating dinner together and having Thanksgiving? And this answered the question. Mm -hmm. That was all this was meant to do in these flashbacks was remind us why don't they get back together until 
Facebook connecting when Tess was born? Why was there this big gap in between? And it is important to recognize that Miguel's own kids were in Houston. Like when he said that little comment, I didn't catch it the first time around, but when he said it the second time, I was like, okay, so he's actually been holding off on going there because of Rebecca. And so when her own kids and she's she's dating someone else and her own kids are pushing him away, it's like, what am I doing here? Yeah. All those factors together. Because if you did play it out, say he did stick around even more, like like the last part of that evening didn't happen and he still stays, Kevin wouldn't keep his commentary to when he was drinking. It would start to be like this heavy-handed sort of thing where he he would start saying worse things to her and even worse things to mom. They continue it throughout. You guys can go back and watch other flashbacks. They continue this throughout. I mean, hello, we have this in current day. We're going to talk about that and Kevin and Miguel. Exactly and right. And their relationship. So, yeah, there was a lot going on there. Before we head that direction, though, let's talk about what's going on with our Teen Beat friends, Kate, Randall, and Kevin, during this Thanksgiving flashback to their teenage years. Well, this picks up uh, the story from the previous week's episode. Like, right off. So, Kevin... Doesn't have much to do except for what we just talked about with being mean to Miguel, but he does admit to having broken up with Sophie. I'm sure it's more like she broke up with him. Randall is there with Beth from Carnegie Mellon, and they are as cute as can be. The main teen story that I got really was Kate still coming up with ways all on her own to try and deal with her overeating. Did you notice the lip movements that she was doing before deciding whether or not to eat various things? Only right when she was about to get the yams and she was like looking at the yams. That I saw it because they had Randall really look at her really hard. And I don't want to say they zoomed in on her lips, but they kind of did zoom in on her when, lips. When Rebecca handed her the spatula, she did it then also. And she said, taste the sugar pie mixture. Yeah, but the time that I noticed it, that I like like caught my eye where I was like, oh, she's like doing that lip thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the that was the time I, I really was like, oh, okay, I see what she was doing here. I got to give the girl credit. She knows that she's in a bad situation that could affect the rest of her life, which is something a lot of 18, 19 year olds don't look at. So trying to fix it in whatever way she has access to, which is distracting herself away from food. And this was very consistent with Kate that she would use music as something to distract her and make her feel better, give her motivation, remind her of her own goals, you know, that she was going to have this butterfly moment that she was referring to in the movie. She is in a cocoon state right now. You know, her brothers have gone off to pursue their dreams, but she's still at home. She's still in her little like caterpillar pupa little stage, right? And so she is... Pupin' out. She's peeping out. So she's waiting to have this butterfly moment. So you can understand why she would like daydream about that moment. I used to have this silly daydream and it's a funnier moment than that for me. I moved away from Texas for a couple of years and I always had this idea that when I would come back, there's this moment when Julia Roberts sees Richard Gere at the end of Pretty Woman and she's wearing this black blazer, this white t-shirt and these jeans and her hair's all done in this like awesome, you know, I just thought was amazing kind of 
creative way. And she just looks so put together. And I imagined myself, literally imagined myself in that outfit, like strutting off the plane, coming back to like, so like my friends hadn't seen me in like three years. And I was just going to be like so grown up and put together. And so I get it. Like I get that making up this makeover type version of yourself and trying to use that as some sort of motivation. So they managed to tap in for me to a very real teenage girl, you know, sort of daydream, which is kind of crazy, right? That's a very, this is us like, whoa, you like push the button. How did you do that? You know? The other piece of uh, Kate's story, teenage Kate's story that I liked about her was she had given Rebecca a pretty hard time in recent episodes regarding her dating life and things like that. Yeah, man, we had to slap her around the world. (laughs) And uh, when she finds Rebecca crying after finding out about Miguel's departure plans, she's actually a good little person and comforts her mom. I appreciated that moment because of right preceding that when her brothers are like, oh God, she's like crying in there. And Kate's like, you can't do anything when she's like this. Like this is how she is. It really exposed how much Rebecca and Kate had been enduring over this last, we're going to say a year, where Rebecca probably had these crying jags and Kate has had to deal with it. Like she's the one telling the boys, this is what it's like to care for mom. She has times when she goes in her room and she cries her eyes out and there's nothing you can say right now to make things better. It was important to kind of point that out because she's been the caretaker. She's the one who knows her mother. She's the one who knows what makes her feel better and what you can do in a particular moment to make things right again. That's important to our future situation. Before we head over to the future version of everybody, um, there was a couple things that I noticed in that that I am curious as we're going to move on. The relationship between Randall and Kate with the food, the like Randall, like just kind of like side eyeing her or even staring at her at times. It makes sense to me why she wouldn't head to Carnegie Mellon and take him up on his offer versus running off with Kevin. There's a whole dynamic there of like why Kate and Kevin tend to have a closer relationship. And Randall there, you know, he definitely seemed like, you know, Kevin was like, what are you looking at? Like there was a lot more understanding there of how the three of that dynamic sort of worked out mm-hmm. right then and why she would head towards Kevin because he wasn't judging her. Good call. And so that was kind of like, okay, I'm understanding this a little bit more. And then additionally, you know, we have Kevin obviously with the drinking, you know, offering the drink at noon and, and all that kind of stuff, but then also him wanting to head back to the childhood pool and wanting to re-experience childhood that had closed down, that they were going to like tear it up. That actually made my own heart sad that their childhood pool was going to be destroyed because we've spent a lot of time with Jack and Rebecca and the kids at their community pool. Even just like a little throw in like that for Kevin, it ties together with me the time when he went back to the high school football field and was like drinking or walking around on it, that kind of stuff. Yeah. It continues his revisiting of his youth and trying to piece things together a little bit. It was cool that they just threw in like a one sentence line that said, he's still doing that. He just blew up his life in that mo- in the previous day. And so going back to a childhood memory like that, even though you can't relive it exactly, can't jump back into it, but it does at least 
give you comfort of a simpler time when things were clearer and easier for you. And I think trying to get that touch base back again, you know, it's like sometimes when you feel like you went off path, even just imagining yourself in the woods or something and you realize you're lost. The, the thing you want to do is go back to the last place you knew where you were and exactly get your bearings again and, and try to figure it out from there. So I just appreciate that you would have to remember way back to those episodes of him fooling around on the high school football field as like a teenager, older teenager past his graduation date that this is something he's doing. He's going back to these childhood things. It won't surprise me if there's even another one that we're going to see. I, well, let's brainstorm for just a hot second. Obviously, the cabin is another one for him. Mm-hmm. What would be another one? We've got the pool, the cabin, the football field. He banged that chick at the high school reunion. That was from high school. Does that count? Well, I was trying to think of places that he revisited or will revisit. Like, what do we think could come as like a, that's another Sophie touch base. Sophie keeps revisiting. I mean. Ah, the biggest touch base of them all. <laughs> I think you're exactly right. Because look at that. We just established the pattern. He continuously goes back to revisit something when things were better. Uh-huh. As things gets worse with mom, he is predestined pattern wise to go back to something a simpler time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see what you're doing there. Remember the movie uh, Boyhood, the one with Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette? It was filmed over the course of a very long time to, to actually feature the same boy growing up. Yes, yes. Do you remember, it was after, I don't remember if it was the kid's high school or his college graduation, but for a long time in the kid's life, Ethan Hawke, his father character, couldn't get his shit together. Mm-hmm. He was very absentee, in and out. Couldn't get his money together, couldn't get his life together. But toward the end of the movie, he found a new wife and he settled down and he started doing things consistently like a grown adult is supposed to do. And his former mother-in-law corners him and pays him this compliment, at least she thinks it is, something like she wishes that her daughter could have married this version of him because he was so much more sorted out now than when they actually conceived the boy of boyhood, you know? Mm-hmm. Um Kevin is like that, right? The the version of him that we're getting to now right. is the version that Sophie deserved 20 years ago. That's why I think you're right. I mean, and we I know everybody out there is like, Dodoy, you guys. It was either going to be Cassidy, Sophie. I know sometimes people throw out Beth's cousin nah. as coming back, but I was like, I do not see that no. happening. So, yeah, no. She doesn't want kids. Fact. And there's already kids in the, in the process here. So, yeah. Okay, let's head on to current day, current day Thanksgiving. And we've got a lot going on. I mean, I appreciated Beth's sum up when she's like, the epitaph for the Pearson family, they were lovely people, they loved all the stuff, but like dramatic as hell Thanksgivings, right? That's all paraphrased, y'all, obviously. I just was like, yeah, whenever Randall's like, we're just gonna have, we're relaxing Thanksgiving, I was like, Randall, what? family do you live in? (laughs) Look at that one ever freaking happen. Although I didn't foresee necessarily Toby and Kate having this particular argument at this particular dinner table. Well, you know, it's TV, so you got to have drama. And we know we have to work towards Toby and Kate breaking up. Like we have to. But... But... I have either lived through or been party to public couple arguments at inopportune times because 
things have just gotten to that level and it's just all decorum in the people's minds in that discussion have left the building. And regardless of who's there judging, trying to have their yams, etc., they're going to say these things. So is it real? Unfortunately, yes. Oh, God, yes. Oh, my God. And especially, like, when you have little kids, little kids at a family gathering, Paul, you don't remember that? And you're, like, talking about these far-off couples. Like, what are you talking about, man? We well, I didn't want to— freaking toddlers. We I didn't want to pin us down. Nah, we tell our listeners everything on This Is Us, man. This Is Us. Can you imagine when we had, like, two-year-olds— you know, yeah. and we're sitting there like we have two two-year-olds and a one-year-old and we're sitting there trying to get people to eat. And any antics are going to cause arguing between us, especially well, if one of the kids is running around, not listening. You know, there's all that. Are you doing the right accommodations? Like we literally had that conversation. Toby, in his mind, has been taking it up his ass all day about how what he's doing isn't thought through. It's not right. His opinions on the way... He wants to feed Jack, et cetera, are not of same value as Kate's. That's so funny that you're bringing it like that because I would say Kate was taking it up the ass all day. Toby was complaining to her. I'm not saying Toby was right. I'm just saying from Toby's point of view. I'm saying from Kate's point of view, like all I heard is him saying, this is too sugary cereal. Like she didn't come over there telling him what to feed Jack. He's telling her this is an acceptable food. Oh, okay. Sorry. What exactly did you pack or grocery shop for or plan for? And they both dug at each other all day. But what's the answer to that? What I just said. What? To be honest, he said this cereal is unacceptable breakfast for him. Mm -hmm. And her response was, you don't go grocery shopping with us. So the rest of that sentence is, what breakfast have you made, Toby, or shopped for or plan for, you're just sitting here complaining about what I bought, planned for, and served. So it's like, do you see how that's like sport bitching on Toby's part? Like it you're is. just complaining if about it. If he's not it. doing the shopping and the research to get this magic wonder cereal. And kind of forget the research even. Like you're sitting on your ass while everyone else is like cooking, cleaning, with the exception of Kevin, who is strumming his guitar. You know, what are you doing to actually be a part of the solution? And I've seen this. The reason why this is coming up is because I've seen this a lot lately where I've seen mothers in particular making plans. And actually, I'm all even say the primary caregiver because it doesn't matter the gender making the plans, doing the shopping, actually serving food or maybe dressing the kid in the outfit or doing whatever. And the other one saying, no, I don't like this, but that's it. Not, and so I bought this alternative thing and I already cooked it and I'm here ready to serve it. It's just a dead end. I don't like this. Yeah. I have a complaint about this. It's been coming up a bunch in my life recently with other people. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry. So their response is just to literally shove it back at you. Like, come up with a new plan, make new food and serve that. Who in the world is going to take that in a positive way? Honestly, who in the world is going to take that? Like, oh, okay, just throw away everything I did, replan and do everything, and then serve it up in the hopes you're not going to complain about it this time? Come on. Of the two of them, who is being bigger jerk here? Oh, I'm not saying he's not being a jerk. I said the bigger jerk. He's being the bigger jerk. When they have their discussion later, though, it's not... A completely baffling point of view. Oh, it is the this is us quintessential both things can be true. 
I want to be thoughtful about our genetics. I want our kids to have a healthy relationship with food. I don't want them to have bullying and sad, fat childhood issues. Those are Toby's words. Understood. And what's Kate's POV? It boils down to she doesn't want him to fear food. She wants him to have a healthy relationship with food so he can make good decisions, but not be in a place where you're constantly fearing the effect food is going to have on your body and future. And I'll even throw out like deprivation, not having to sit back and not enjoy the day. That comes up back in our Rebecca wedding prep time when she says, I'm going to eat the food that I made. I'm not going to sit here and serve all you guys food and then not eat like that. I'm not going to play out that same thing. So you could see where she's trying to break that cycle of, you know, we're all eating Thanksgiving. You know, why would we do this now? Small modifications that Toby was making that Kate started picking at that got to be a little bit like, okay, if he wanted to take the marshmallows off of the yams or or just like the big glop of it off, right? Because mm-hmm. there were still some on there. You know, is that the, like the worst thing? I, me and you definitely know people who have toddlers right now who 100% do not allow them to eat sweets, desserts. You've sat there through dinners, right? Where nope. No ice cream, no cake, no nothing, right? Right. So it's not crazy that they're saying like, you know, why don't we just have some fruit or let's like cut it back or whatever. We've seen that. So I thought Kate was being a little too harsh in those moments. Well, she definitely seems keyed up to (laughs) want to bite on his antics. A thousand percent. And I mean, we just discussed why she does the planning, the packing, the serving, the preparing. And then he's like, not good enough. Everybody could see why that would get old fast. It's not that he hasn't thought about it. That's not the argument. It's that he hasn't done enough to act on it just yet. And so when you look at a mountain of acting versus a hill of thinking, And he's not the one day to day. It's one thing to say, I want you to to prepare and serve this kind of food for the kids. If you aren't the one that even knows what the grocery store cereal aisle offers, or like you said, have done the research to find out like, well, what is the, what is the, I was going to say vet. What does the pediatrician say is appropriate for, you know, this aged kid or whatever, you know? You've been taking our kids to the vet. (laughs) I was going to say that. That's so weird. Um, I don't know what I was going to say. But you get what I'm saying? Like, if you don't even know what anything and you're just being like, I have all these parameters and boundaries and I want him to, to know the healthy eating and yet you don't know what you're even asking to be served. I'm kind of like, mm, I don't know, Toby. I, I 100%. This is, this is classic. Both things can be true. Neither one of these parents were in the wrong at all. In my opinion, the approach, the passive aggressiveness, the under the breath or the yelling things like at Kevin and be like, you know, if I want information from you, man, child, sleep it on my cat. Like talking like that at family dinner. Yeah, you got to squelch all that shit. Right. But the overall concept of don't intervene in my marriage, that's understandable. In the moment, Toby's best move is to can it and then take it up offline away from the table. You and I have had this conversation like a billion times, as have many, many parents. 
you cannot just try to fix the situation at the holiday dinner with all the family there. What did a family member say to his brother one time? It was something like, don't parent in front of me or, or something. something. Like parent on your own time. Parent or, on your own something time. Something like that. Yeah, just the basic thing of like, this isn't the time to do some sort of big standoff with your kid or your spouse for that matter. Like you can talk about, but I do want to point out, in just talking about this food, do you remember just not like an episode ago when they actually showed the refrigerator? And Labeled it, and... So when we say that Kate had planned and prepared and meal prepped for those kids, that was a level that I, there's no way I did anything like that. So when you saw those specifically cut up little plastic boxes with the kids labeled names and stuff, there is no reasonable person who can say this is not a mother who has not put a great deal of thought into it. Mm -hmm. So then it was super dismissive of Toby to act as though there wasn't enough thought going into what he was eating. And like we said, like Thanksgiving dinner, one meal, is that really the time to act like that, you know? And sweet potatoes, I mean, I, he was you got like a pound of sweet potatoes there and you're going to scrape off that couple ounces of, of, of marshmallow? pound in the, on the little baby's dish? Yeah. A pound? He just had like a little tiny bit. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You know, we both know how toddlers eat. That thing's gigantic and full of carbs. And you're worried about the tiny amount of thing, sweetness that makes it actually palatable to a little kid? Come on, bro. I was bro. more thinking that a toddler's probably going to only eat a bite of that. Right. I mean, there's no way that that toddler's going to like clear his plate. He's going he's gonna to eat little little bits. That's what they do. They graze. Yeah. So I wasn't really worried. He was like going to eat all that, the portion I just remember sizes. being a little kid and, and really needing marshmallow to be <laughs> on my sweet potatoes because the rest of it was not as good without it. No, a thousand percent. So this is tough. I mean, obviously you guys are listening to us. I mean, we obviously have a lot of baggage in this department in terms of like wanting to do the right thing. Oh, well, you know, he getting schooled about how to deal with a blind baby in front of the rest of the family and all that. But it's, which portion? Uh, Him marching over to her? All of it. And yelling about how I just had to strap him in the stroller, blah, blah, blah. From Why his point of view, he's, he's telling anything, though. Why are you even if you strapped him in the stroller? He's frustrated and out of tricks. And he wants to be quiet and unnoticed in front of the, in front of his family members, her family members. Wait, what are you talking about? Who wants to be quiet and unnoticed? Toby. But but, but by throwing a tantrum in front of everyone, what yeah, are you talking it's, about? It's a it's a it's a weird paradox. I've been there though when you don't have a kid that's doing what you want to do, and they got kind of like you're you're out of the usual things that you do to make it work. Uh, so you go to your partner and you're like, hey, help, and you get like advice in return. You're like. I, I didn't come for advice. I, I came for extra hands. I think that you and I have found our dynamic in that if it's your family's event, I'm going to do the lion's share with the kids so that you can not only just play the part of dad, but you also need to be a son and a brother and a grandson and all those things. So part of what bugged me about this is that this is the Pearson's Thanksgiving so for me, I'm like, Toby, you do need to be taking that lion's share because Kate has to be daughter to her mother, sister to her brothers. There's other things going on here. Like we're talking about where mom's going to be living right now. I can't stop everything and be mothering. You know me, I'm like super compartmentalized about this. If I'm having to play another role, I do think it's shitty for Toby to stamp his feet and not go take him back to the house. Go take him back to the cabin then. 
you know, like whatever, get away from me, you know, like if you feel like he's causing a scene, then go put him in the car and go take a drive. There's parts to this that are like he just was throwing his hands up out of frustration, which we've all been there. But that doesn't make it Kate's fault. He got frustrated. That's a fact. Handle it, you know, and especially when she's trying to deal with all these other things. I know this is the point where they're trying to make us fall completely out of love with Toby, right? Yeah, yeah. We are supposed to think these things are obnoxious and unreasonable. If we didn't, we couldn't even stomach her looking at Philip and getting remarried. So we have to start thinking he's an asshole, right? We have to. Right. I think he's on the road to Asshelleville. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're seeing it happen. Just, just that scene, though, when he's unfolding the cane, he looks like an infomercial where the cane like plops out of his arms and it's like, does this happen to you with your blind cane? You know? Right. You guys, so just so you know. Like, why would you get a a blind toddler out on an unfamiliar, like gravelly, uneven space and be like, cane time? People don't even know what you're talking about. You have to explain more. So one of the things is that your cane has to do with what your current height is. Like the length of your cane is completely proportional to your height. So him only being like two years old, he wouldn't have a super long cane. No. So part of that was like, okay. Now here's the thing. Because creators and writers have come back to us and said they've done a lot of research. Maybe this is some sort of practice device that we're unfamiliar with. Maybe this is something different than what our kiddo use or uses. But at that age, our kiddo would have been using the PVC pipe. Yeah, like a little... It looks kind of like a walker or something, but right. it's there. It's like a bumper, and it's just because they're they don't use a cane at that age. They want to get their hands in the right spot. Yeah, they don't. So most kids we've seen, I'm going to say 99 percent of kids we've seen would have used this other modified device. Now I know to TV viewers, they're trying to use things that people wouldn't recognize as blind accessories. So they're using like a regular cane. But in all honesty, I mean, that is just not what our kiddos were using, Mm-mm. you know, till much they older. exist. I mean, we've seen... Little tiny. We've seen them, yeah. Sure. But still, those kids were probably like four, Paul, not like two. Right, exactly. So yeah. very little. And you're right. I mean, that would have been a disaster. How would the kid not be falling down nonstop? Like, there's no good way to be doing a, that. A sighted kid on that ground would have been bloody need. It was just for the drama. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting too much into it, I know. But... Trust me, they were pushing things <laughs> in that moment. Speaking of people acting kind of like assholes, what do you think about Kevin and his still chip on his shoulder with Miguel? I thought he had gotten past that whole whatever his problem was with Miguel. And so on the second viewing, it felt overdone to me, a little a little forced. Because I don't know what would have brought back the chip because the chip had been gone for several recent interactions. All I got to think is that it's because Kevin was in a mood. Obviously, that little is his ballad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was feeling like he was in a mood and he didn't want anyone questioning what he had already you know, created. Again, none of the Pearson kids enjoying armchair quarterbacks saying anything about how they're doing their planning or what they're doing. Right. You do. Now, here's the thing. Miguel was about to answer him when Randall said, hey, we got to go do this family picture. It's not like that would have gone on for very long because Miguel was about to say, no, 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 it's not that. It's this caretaker thing. Like, I'm comfortable Miguel was going to cut that off right away. Isn't it great they made Miguel like a very mature guy, you know, through very chill. this whole time? He has stood up for himself, but not in any kind of aggressive 
Um, he's been a, he's been assertive but not aggressive. And is I'm, it realistic? You think? Yeah, there are humans that are very hard to rile up. I also think that his own kids, if you remember way back, were always picking at him. Do you remember when they had that dinner and they were going around the table and they were like adult kids and they were like, whatever, dad. Like they were being like supersonic dicks. So I feel like he has absorbed (laughs) a lot over the years. So some comment about a fishing buddy is hardly the worst barb he's heard. This child is a dick and they've achieved Mach 2. (laughs) Supersonic dick. (laughs) (laughs) They were though. They were dicks. It's true. (laughs) Okay, so then last one we have is Randall. And let's talk a little bit about his disconnection. He's feeling sad about mom. And, you know, he pointed out all the little facets of life that have changed with her moving away. And, uh, you know, just how close the other two siblings are with her and that he's really feeling out of the loop. Well, and there's, like I said before, I often prefer to be the camera guy whenever there's an opportunity to be a camera guy. However, although you are in the middle of the action and you are seeing all of the action, because you're concentrating on trying to get the picture, you're disconnected from what's actually going on. So you're there, Mm. but you are really not there. So he was actually... You're like creating even extra disconnection, if you will. Yeah. Because he was feeling out of the loop, but then he was like not even engaging in conversations and stuff. He was actually interrupting conversations in order to get pictures and stuff. 10 years from then or now or whenever, people are going to look and say, I'm glad they have these pictures. And then you'll feel like, see, someone had to take those pictures. But in the middle of it, people are like, put down your camera. It happens all the time. Ugly. My goodness. It, uh, I don't know anyone that would say it like that, but yeah, the, the, the message is quit hiding behind the camera. Oh, that's it, hilarious. That's what you think people are saying? Quit hiding behind the camera? In this situation. Oh God, no, I don't. In lots of situations. Yeah. Like I said, it creates space between you and what's going on. Okay, You're not interacting. I'm a hundred percent with you, but that's on the side of the photographer then. You're yes. thinking- oh, Okay, you're thinking that. Yes. You're thinking you're hiding behind the camera. I can tell you as the people being photographed, I never once thought you were hiding behind the camera. That wasn't a thought that came to my mind that you were somehow not joining in. And that's why. So I'm just telling you, like, and I don't think that these other people are telling him to put the camera down because they think Randall's hiding behind the camera. It's interesting and a good insight that maybe Randall is very much hiding behind the camera. And that's how the photographers do feel when they're in those situations. Maybe they don't feel like they know how to fit in with the group. And so they're doing this as just a way to be there, but not have to be there. Mm -hmm. So that's a good, that's a good thing. But I'm, I'll speak for the outsider i think it was just that people were tired of him freeze framing their holiday of like you know they're walking around looking at the compound grounds and he's like family photo and like making everyone stop everything what's happening and gather together and pose and do all this stuff and he was even doing it like while they were like you know getting ready to eat and stuff like that like there was times when it was like you're kind of disturbing the flow of the actual event because, you know, it's kind of the antithesis of candid, you know, like he wasn't just walking around taking pictures. He was actually making people stop what they were doing and take pictures. See, I prefer candid pictures. Completely. Yeah. But people often stop acting normally when they feel like there's a candid picture happening around them, you know? So, so think about that though. So if you were at a holiday where you guys hadn't seen each other in a long time and you were the person who really was, was visiting and talking and you got that feeling of like, Every 10 seconds, I'm stopping what I'm doing. I'm not acting normally 
because this person is kind of buzzing around, mm-hmm. then can you see like why they would kind of be like enough, Randall, like cool that you took a bunch and you went around and took a bunch of each person, which we kind of do at stuff like New Year's Eve and stuff, like kind of at the start of the evening, we'll go around and be like, I'll make sure you have a picture with your sister. We'll make sure there's like a picture of like kids with grandma and whatever. But then you put the camera away. Right. You don't like take pictures the rest of the night. And then you you know what? Gets told 100% of the time when something happens later. Where's your camera now? You're not, you're not even the person taking these pictures. Like, I'm just saying identify with Randall. I'm just saying I identify with Randall, but you are right. He's creating a lot of disruption. He's just disturbing the flow is the way that I want to say it. Like, and he wants to preserve the moment though. Although post pictures moment, are not a moment. Right. And that's, it's making the moment not be able to happen. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's, it's like creating just this weird situation. So I understand it. I, of course, always love Beth and Randall moments when, you know, Beth comes outside and is like, I'm sorry, your mom was pretty adamant. I got to take your phone. <laughs> like, love it. Love Beth. Always some relief. Always just some real talk out of her. Love it. And I feel for Randall. I really do. He's trying so hard. And we said a long time ago, like, man, with him over in Philadelphia and them all, you know, out in California, he does feel like an island. You know, it really does feel so strange and different. So, yeah, I miss him being more connected with the family, more plugged in. So let's get to the big culmination of this entire Thanksgiving dinner, which is really this talk with Rebecca and the kids. Let's do that. As a person that's been party to or more like on the periphery of either elder care, caretaking or that sort of thing for the person that needs to be taken care of to have the forethought to designate not only their, you know, as she says it, captain of the ship, but the captain's first officer before there can be any squabbling, any discussion, any, anything is such a a great move on, on Rebecca's part, because we've already seen what happens when people start heading off in their own directions? You have a year of siblings not talking to each other, right? Letting mm-hmm. letting things build up. And that was easy going. I mean, I think we could point out examples in our own families where grudges last the rest of people's lives. Yeah, for sure. So uh, you're right. I What a gift Rebecca gave to all of them being of sound mind and body at this point where she can say, these are my wishes. I've taken notes here. It's written down in some format. And and I'm saying them to all four of you right now in a way where no one can dispute that this was not discussed and wasn't very clear. For everyone who's kind of not remembering, because I know you guys don't, you don't take notes like we do and you don't have to remember as many details. The entire crux of Kevin and Randall's entire grudge was really best intentions for mom's care. And they were going down two different paths. Kate was the one that stayed more middle ground and actually just tried to listen to what Rebecca wanted. Mm -hmm. That was really important, apparently. (laughs) That was almost like a test, right? Yeah. To see where everyone fell out. And at the end of the day, Kate floats to the top. You know, in the history of the show, she and Kate have had maybe the most ups and downs. But I think what they're trying to show is with this, especially with this last season worth of interactions is that their little paths have been getting closer and and closer. And they always have had those years, a couple of years post Jack's death prior to her leaving for LA that we didn't know about earlier on. 
you know, when when they were just kind of cats and dogs living together, arguing at shows or whatever. We didn't know that. So we always, we had this preconceived idea that they just didn't get along at all, but we didn't know that they had this actual basis that they were maybe had diverged from, but were coming back to later in the show. That there were these caretaker moments definitely that were established. And additionally, I mean, they didn't really spend a lot of time with the NICU portion, but we know that Rebecca stood right beside Kate with her notebook and was helping and that fell over a um, summer for us, the break for them. Right. So you just have to imagine in your mind all those months that were going by where Rebecca was there every day with Kate. And so, you know, we both can speak to like the bonding and the relationship that happens when you spend that time together in that caretaker mode. So for sure, they have a lot going on. It was a little weird for that one line that it's always been you. That line is going to bother me for a little bit. I, I really have to sit with that and try to decide if that is a line that was determined now when they're writing this season, is that 100% earned given what a close relationship Randall has had with his mother since he was a little tiny boy and the maybe more difficult relationship, but still caretaker relationship that Kevin has had with her is that totally feel earned to you? Well, we see the their lives in a disorganized piecemeal fashion, right? Where we get the glimpses of their periods of life that tell the best story that week, mm-hmm. okay? And like I just mentioned, they've been building up to show us that that can make sense if you put the right pieces in the right order. Also, since I'll just piggyback off of everything that you've said, Randall is going to push for things that she may not want to go for. Can I pause you just one second? Just one second. Just one. I hear you about where they are right this second. Uh And even within the last year, but it's always been you. Randall has pushed on her his whole life? No. No, you're right. Randall, they, they, they painted the- They had a very the, close relationship. Because Kate was Jack's girl. That's right. So it's always been you, question mark? I don't know. Listeners, I really want y'all's feedback on this one because maybe you'll say, no, it has been well woven that Kate has 100% always been the one for Rebecca. But for my own self, I'm going to have to sit with this, especially because when you say it like that, it means that Randall wasn't the one and Kevin wasn't the one. And that makes me feel like it diminishes the relationship she had with them, most especially Randall. In the in the right nowness of it, also, Randall's very far away. So when you look at who's close, well, Kevin... Kevin doesn't have his shit nearly together yet. He's he's got he's got his shit. He's gathering it. He's putting it in his backpack mm-hmm. for the shit store. But but he doesn't have it there yet, right? And, and I'm gonna say he is caretaking as well with building the house. So what she's talking about is the medical decisions. Mm-hmm. So she's not talking about like all the things, but she is talking about the medical part. So it's not like Kevin isn't doing his part. He is doing something to help mom. Maybe the right nowness also shows Kate being more even keeled emotionally. Whereas Randall's had like the, I mean, I don't want to cast aspersions on someone that's had uh, nervous breakdowns, but he's had nervous breakdowns. You know, he's got an emotional load limit. And when he hits it, he needs someone else to come and get him. I feel like they should have left it at, I 
have my reasons, which is what she said. And then just been like, each of you care for me in different ways when it comes to the medical decisions. I feel like Kate and I are on the same page and I feel comfortable asking her to do it. I wish they just left it at that. It's the, it's always been you. That just makes me feel like, what did you just do to the relationships with your other kids throughout this entire series? What have you just done here? Like, this is, this is rough. This conversation also didn't leave any room for like, where does Randall fit in? What can he do if he's not allowed to help with medical stuff? And Kevin's over here doing the house stuff. Like, where does Randall fit in then? That bothers me. Maybe that's the benefit of being the person that's dying. You get to say these things and people just got to shut up afterwards. They just got to deal with it I guess without I... putting the burden on you because you've done your thinking about it. You're the one dying. Or they're going to come to you and start being like, hey, I wanted to be your person. Okay. Bigger picture. Not inside Rebecca's head. Mm-hmm. What role does Randall play heading out and for the rest of this series? And you mean in terms of Randall's life or in sorry, terms of his Rebecca's relationship life? with Rebecca? If this is about her three children, in which we set this up, that Jack's mother's death set the table for us seeing how a child deals with the death of a parent. So if we have this and now Kevin seems to have a pretty defined role, Kate has a pretty defined role. I would just make a prediction that they have to find a defined role for Randall. Hmm. Maybe it's going to be in heading up a foundation for research for this. Maybe it's going to be, you know, because he he has wanted to set up like a mental health foundation. Maybe there would be an aspect of that that also, you know, raised money for research or something like they have to address that because there's no way that this is the big three with two of them having all of this input in Rebecca's life and one just not like, no. Uh uh-uh, that doesn't make sense to me. And I don't think that they would do that. I really don't. I think Fogelman will find something that is going to be in Randall's wheelhouse that will somehow benefit Rebecca and the family and give him a part to play. Okay. An important part. He's the smartest of the three, so... Because of the political talk and his aspirations within the community for mental health, I think I see something there having to do with something very big and exciting that Randall could take part in. That's just, it's a random thought, but I can't think of any other pieces that they've lined up and I don't know any other parts where he could make an impact. Yeah, well, there was the thread dangling about the call from the senator. Those kinds of things are often like, the party is interested in you for this position that's bigger than city council, et cetera, et cetera. There's been a ton of talk about him running for office at way higher levels, definitely within the fan groups. People think by the very end, he's like running for president. I don't see why not. It's TV. It's our universe. Why not? Maybe on a mental health platform. Her last comment about the children being brave and and not letting their lives become smaller because of her. I just went to a Tim McGraw concert and, uh, in preparation for that, since I've never listened to Tim McGraw, was I listened to a bunch of Tim McGraw. Are you supposed to say that? Now I can, since it's in the past. And one of his songs, the chorus, was something about living your life like you're dying. And it's the fearlessness, like it's something about going skydiving and and doing all these different things that if you didn't know you were dying, you probably wouldn't do because you think you're going to live so much longer, right? But since you know it's coming, it doesn't matter if you die from jumping out of a plane or in six months when your time is up because it's all the same result. Um, And that's sort of like the permission she's granting them because she has that perspective now on her own life. 
a thousand percent. But additionally, I would also add that, it, you know, we've been watching Mad Men and Don Draper just gave us that speech of like, I'm living my life like there's no tomorrow because there's no tomorrow. You have to do the things you want to do and have the life you want to have now. That speech is also in my brain. Um, and do the dangerous things if you want to do the dangerous things, because you're gonna die anyway. So you may as well go out on your own terms. I think that what I heard was things like, don't sit here bedside and not take that trip around the world. Mm -hmm. Don't sit here bedside and not run for that office or not take that movie part that you got because you'll be away from me for six months. Don't make decisions based on me that keep you here that end up stagnating your life in some way. That is the, I think that's a little different than like the skydiving type metaphor because she did say risk, but I think that don't make your life smaller. I think a lot of kids think what I'm supposed to do is keep vigil next to my mom's bed and put aside all my hopes and dreams. That comment is probably the springboard for whatever peaks into the future we we get from this point on, because kids might, kids, they're our age, but, you know, they'll want to resist that idea, but someone's going to remind them, whether it's Kevin taking a movie role or shit, maybe like a TV series, but he's got to go to Canada or overseas or whatever to do it. Randall, of course... If he becomes a uh, United States government type figure, like a senator or something, he's got to spend, he's got to split time all, right. all over to do that. And um, Kate, her, her big decision, the, the the taboo, if you will, the thing that we're not supposed to talk about, but is we're going to have to talk about <laughs> is whether or not she can stay married to this guy. No, she's not going to. So more like she was yeah, having to go through a divorce, not putting it on the back burner and, mm-hmm. and, and saying, oh, well, I'll deal with it after mom passes away, even if that's in 20 years, you know, like, no, you should deal with it and move on and find the love of your life and do all the things because... You just don't know. You know, it's interesting because right at this very, very moment, our family is having things like this where we have people who are older or have had surgery recently or doing whatever. and, And there's things planned for our own family that could be canceled, could be put on hold, could be like, well, we could we could always do that six months from now. And after the pandemic and everything, I made a very specific decision to say, these are the dates that I'm not going to be available for any type of caretaking role. And so I actually 100% wrapped my arms around the, I'm not going to make our life smaller. Rebecca actually kind of gave me permission in a way to feel like, I know my own mom would say this to me, or my own grandmother would say this to me, if we were to have this kind of honest moment or like clarity, right? Of like, what would you really want for the kids and for myself and, and for, you know, what our day-to-day lives look like, or like the adventures we could have, like, do you want us to sit bedside and have these things? And I think at the end of the day, Rebecca putting those words out into the universe made me feel like, I don't think anybody who I could be a caretaker to would want that for me. You know, I think they would want us to go, you know, and have the adventures and have the fun and come back and tell them all about it, you know, show them tons of pictures and send them and call them and, you know, FaceTime and everything like that. But what an important message, you know, as so many of our age group are starting this like caretaker role. How do you make, you know, strike that balance of not making your life smaller and still feeling like you're being there as the caretaker? Oof, it's rough. 
This is Caroline. This is Paul. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A high rating or comment especially will let other people find the podcast and enjoy it right as it's drawing to an end. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.